in Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed. What is your survival guide for the COVID-19 crisis? I've got a little something here that maybe would remind us of what a survival guide might include. For sure, it includes a mask. At least that helps everybody else survive as we cover our cough and, and not spread germs everywhere. Uh, my wife put these uh, surgical gloves in a Ziploc and put them in my truck so that especially when I went to the gas pump where everybody's grabbing that gas pump, I would have these to keep my hands from being infected. You got to have a clicker, right? If you're going to be sheltering at home and you're going to watch Netflix on in, you need to have a, a, a clicker. And of course, no one would go through COVID-19 without hand sanitizer uh, after every encounter, taking it out of your pocket and, and uh, making sure that you're sanitized. And then this is probably the most valuable, most important thing of all of COVID-19, toilet paper. In fact, you know how that was hard to find right at the beginning of this pandemic. I know I'm doing this all kind of humorously, but uh, we do talk a lot about survival during this time because we have a pandemic on our planet. The truth is, the biggest pandemic is really not a disease ever. It is that the fact that God somehow in his wisdom has left a prowling lion all over the planet is this devil and his demons, and we are in a spiritual war. Uh, the, the big enemy is not a country called China who let a virus out of the bag. The biggest enemy is a devil, and he, and he brought with him, when he was kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels who became demons. And they are in a war for the souls of all people. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible gives us a lot of survival guide tips for our life of faith while we go through this life. You know, the biggest thing that we're supposed to be doing to survive is to retain our faith. And, and that is something that God does, and he teaches us how to cooperate with him once he has brought us to faith. The Apostle Peter, as a shepherd of souls, when he wrote 1 Peter, the book called 1 Peter, was writing to suffering Christians. They were living in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They were Christian churches spread throughout that, that region. And Peter was trying to help them survive. By that, I mean help their faith survive so that they made it to heaven. And so he wrote to them about the, the truth of God, the faith of a Christian, and the survival guide for a Christian in a time of suffering. It's a beautiful letter. It, it, it starts with teaching us that what our identity is as Christians. We are not what the world thinks we are. We're not what they try to make us think we are, like some kind of man-made religious zealots who are out of sync with reality. Instead, we are children of God, chosen to, to come to know Christ through his eternal gospel. We believe in his resurrection of the dead, based on the eyewitnesses of the apostles and the meaning of that resurrection, that our sins are forgiven and we are going to live forever, that our own bodies will rise up someday to join our soul forever in heaven. We live in that living hope. That's all in Peter's letter, chapter 1. Chapter 2, we are a royal priesthood, a, a, a holy nation, called out to be a church, a, a group, a distinct group gathered around Christ, who is the cornerstone, and we are stones in his temple. We are God's special children, redeemed and on our way to heaven. That's the way Peter teaches us to survive, was by teaching us our identity 
as redeemed children of God. When he gets to chapter 5, and that's what we're going to look at today, Peter is now much more tactical for Christians as children of God, how they should live in a very practical way. And so as long as you and I remember that the big thing is that we keep our focus on our identity in Christ, then we can go into chapter 5 as Christians in seeing ourselves as redeemed children of God, and we can listen as children listening to a dear father, as we let Peter, the shepherd of our souls, teach us how to survive. Instead of the, the few things that I pulled out of the bag, Peter gives us four things to survive during any time of suffering. And we're going to look at chapter 5, starting at verse 5, in the middle of that verse, and we're going to talk about uh, survival. The first tool for survival for a Christian is humility. Look at, look at this verse with me. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, and it starts in the middle of verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves before God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Isn't that interesting that God is saying in any time of suffering that he allows for the life of a Christian, he is actually humbling them. We are redeemed children of God, but we have a sinful nature. And the base, at the very base of our sinful nature is a pride in ourselves. It, you can see it with Adam and Eve when they committed the first sin. They decided they wanted to be like God. And in some way, we all have that remnant, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we have that remnant of pride that we have to battle with that comes from our sinful nature. And it shows up in lots of different ways. Um, I'd like to mention a few. When we're suffering, in the whispering of our soul, often the thought is, a person that's tried as hard as I have, that is as good as I am, should not have to be suffering this way. That, is, that has the roots of pride. Also, there's, there's other prideful thoughts that come out of the soul that we need to be told to, to, to deal with during our suffering or else our faith will not survive. One is, why do all those people seem to have no trouble at all when someone like me has all of these struggles? That is a deadly sin of pride that's manifesting itself in our soul, and it makes us doubt the pure grace and love of God. It makes us think that we are deserving of so much better. So what God is doing during a crisis like this, uh, any crisis in your life, is He is putting His mighty hand over our life, and He is humbling us. And this is not uncommon for the way he treated all of the great men and women of faith in the Bible. Just real quickly, Joseph in the Old Testament is given a vision that someday his whole family will bow down to him. Then he goes through 20 years of suppression and abuse and neglect to humble him under God's mighty hand. So he would be a humble man the rest of his life and retain his faith in a good and caring God that does it all by grace. David was anointed to be king as a little boy, but he went through 15 years of running from Saul and running for his life. David tried to, to find pride in his armies at the end of his life and the end of his reign. He counted all the men and God put a humbling plague on him and the whole land in order to bring David to, to right size. 
Abraham, who was a friend of God, was told that they, he and Sarah would have a baby past the childbearing years. They're already past that when they're told of the promise, and yet they're made to wait under God's mighty hand for 25 more years. This is really common, right? That God would humble people that he claims as his own to deal with their own sinful nature and to glorify his mercy and his grace. So when Peter, who writes to suffering Christians, says, every one of you, humble yourself, He's teaching us if we want to survive in faith and survive as a community of faith, we will humble ourselves. I have watched while uh, people who've tried to talk about whether we should return to worship or whether or not we should not return to worship in the life of the church or whether or not we should return to work in the community or shopping at our stores have spoken with judgmental pride of people who had a different opinion. That's the, that's the example that Peter, that, that, of what Peter is saying is that we can easily fall into a, a sense of I know better and everybody should align their thoughts with me or else they're an idiot. And that is a pride that's lurking in our hearts and it's deadly to faith in a God who is gracious and loving. So Peter says, humble yourself. Let God humble you through the suffering he brings into a Christian's life. Isn't that amazing? I'm just going to take a breath that God would say to someone while they're suffering, I want you to humble yourself. That's part of what I'm doing here. There's, there's probably uh, not a more sociably acceptable way that pride reveals itself than for us to have anxiety. Yep, that's what I said. That anxiety is, a, is, a, is the underbelly of pride. Uh, let me read the next passage. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Cast all your care on God because he cares for you. In the English, these two sentences stand side by side as separate independent thoughts. This is an important thing to notice from the original that shows you that there's a link between pride and anxiety. The, the phrase, cast your anxiety on him, is actually a dependent clause in that verse, saying, saying that by, by humbling yourself under God's mighty hand, you do it uh, casting, it's using the participle, casting all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. This is the difference between a little kid saying to his parents, let me do it, let me do it, I can do it, when the parents know full well they're going to, in this particular instance, that child's going to need that parent's help. God sees us going, let me do it, let me do it, when we have deep anxiety, like we are in control of the outcome of things. When you're suffering, you want to be careful. He's telling us to be careless here, though, about worrying about the outcome. Being careful about getting exposed to the germ of COVID-19 is one thing. Sure, we want to be careful, but we want to be careless about our feelings about controlling the outcome because that's in God's ballpark. I like to say it this way. When we need to move the log called life, if God picks up the heavy end, his end, then my end feels as light as a feather. Yeah, I have some things to do and not do to be careful about, but I can be careless about the whole log governing the outcome because that's in God's arena. You can see this in the life of Mary. And Peter watched this at the wedding at Cana. She came to Jesus with a prayer. She said, they don't have any more wine, saying, would you make some wine for these people at their wedding? And even though he rebuked her, she said to the people standing there that took care of the meal, do whatever he tells you. 
You know why? She let go. She let go of the problem and in controlling the outcome. That's the way God wants us to be. He wants us to cast our anxieties on him in prayer. And when we notice we're trying to take control, he wants us to humble ourselves as realizing we can't do it all and we give it all to God in prayer. So as life keeps laying burdens on you, you keep laying the burden of the outcome on God. It is a huge stress reliever to understand prayer in this way. And it's the biblical way to understand it. It's a survival guide. And truth be told, we waste a tremendous amount of energy worrying about the outcome when we could just be following God and being careful about our inputs. We don't need to worry about the outcome. So we'd be careless about worrying about the outcome, but careful about the way that we live our life because God has given us a job to do. And that's what comes next. He's telling us, you have a real enemy out there and you have something to be concerned about and to deal with, but you deal with it by listening to me as your, your shepherd and I'll teach you how we're going to do this. Watch what he says next. Verse 8. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We have an enemy. It's not, it's not another country that let a, a virus out of the bag. Our enemy of our soul is a spiritual giant. And we are prey, and he's a predator. We are not equal predators with the devil. We are prey. We are, we are no match for him. This is why Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer to pray to the Lord, lead us not into temptation. It's because we're no match for the devil by ourselves. We need God to protect us, and we need to be alert because the devil is always feeding us daggers, spears, viruses for our soul and his virus just like a virus gets into the body and it duplicates and replicates all over the body the virus of the devil's thoughts will replicate throughout all of your thinking and make you uh, sick unto spiritual death if you let his thoughts take root in your soul and we need to be thinking about that and be alert and careful. Just like every time you wash your hands with that disinfectant, every time you put the mask on, every time you are careful about social distancing, you need to be thinking about spiritually how to socially distance yourself from the devil, keep a mask on to protect yourself from him, and also to disinfect your heart from the thoughts that he puts there. Let me just, I'm just going to share with you some thoughts that are pretty close to home for most people at some point in their life. And I'm just, this is just a random sampling. It's, it's not necessarily about any one area of life, but I want, I want to bring it to light how the devil is always working on your heart and mind. Here's a thought that he'll put in your head that kills faith and love. Your children will never think of doing the right thing without you reminding them. So you need to hound them to do the right thing. Here's another one. If you have to work on such a beautiful day, you've wasted the whole day. <laughs> Here's one. Your government is manipulating, manipulating you and lying to you. Here's another. All, all that person ever thinks about is himself. Here's one. You'd be happier if you 
gratified that desire and God wants you to be happy. Or those people never think about you or pray for you. They have forgotten you completely. It's okay to cheat on that test because everyone does it. If God loves you or if he was real, he would have rescued you from all of this by now. Your sin is so bad, God has abandoned you. You have to take care of yourself because no one else cares. You cannot ask for help. Those people are too busy and their time is too valuable to help someone like you. If only you could buy that car or build that home, you'd really be happy. The other people, those other people you see, they never struggle and have big problems like you do. The good life is relaxing and being served by other people. Grandparents, here's a grandparent's thought. Your children or your child and his spouse or her spouse, they spend more time with that other family than they do with you. That's just a few. There are thousands that fly through our mind and heart every day that make us not believe, not trust, and not have hope and love. The devil is a prowling lion spreading his virus. Resist him steadfast in the faith. You say, well, how do you do that? These thoughts just keep coming. The Apostle Paul said in, in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, bring every thought captive to Christ. Bring every thought, he's saying, captive to Christ and his message and his word. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciple and you'll be set free from the devil. And Jesus modeled how to filter thoughts that the devil brings through the word of God when he quoted scripture to the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness. He was saving our soul by being the perfect son of God when he beat the devil in the temptation game. But he was also modeling for us what a human being, like the perfect human being, Jesus, should do when the devil brings the onslaught of his weird thoughts prowling around. For a suffering Christian, the devil brings a tremendous amount of unbelieving thoughts, getting you to think all kinds of things self-righteously or in unbelief, trusting only your reason and your own understanding instead of the Lord. And you need to filter everything that you think through the Word of God. And if it is not consistent with the Word of God, you throw it out. What if you looked at your mind and heart this way, being alert because your devil prowls around? Store up as many scriptures as you do in your heart as you are tempted to store up toilet paper in your cabinet. Yeah. The more scripture you have, the more alert you will be and the faster you'll deal with those deadly thoughts. And, and unless you feel alone, Peter says, remember, this is the onslaught that all Christians everywhere are undergoing. So if you know other Christians who you can tell are alive to this, the battle and they're sensitive to what's going on, partner with them. Use your time not to isolate uh, tech, tech, in technology from your brothers and sisters, but just like you're doing now, listening to a sermon, stay connected to other Christians because we're all going through this together. We can isolate socially in a physical sense, but we dare not isolate spiritually or emotionally uh, in a social sense. Then we, we want to connect to each other. That's what Peter is suggesting. In humility, in alertness, without the, uh, the losing energy through worry, letting God take care of all the results in our life. And Peter says, while you're surviving, the last thing I want to put, he says, in your basket is a promise that will give you hope. 
And that's what God does through his word. He gives promises that give us hope. And hope is that thing that deals with the temptation to completely emotionally give up. When you have the promises of God that give hope, then you're not so, t- you're, you're not so prone to give up. But you are strengthened to fight. And this is the promise that he gives. It's a beautiful promise. It's in verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The God of all grace will make you firm and steadfast after you have suffered for a little while. This is Peter late in his life saying that the life on earth that is marked by suffering is only for a little while. It is very important to right-size your suffering. One of the things that we do when we want to get depressed is we think, this is the worst part of my life and it's going to last until the end. So it's going to be too long and too much for me to handle. And Peter says, it's just a little while. The God of all grace, he will strengthen you and settle you. In a person's lifetime, God does that before they even get to heaven. You know some seasons of suffering that you pass through, but the Lord brought you through it. Maybe it was a bully at school and it's gone now as you've grown out of it. Maybe it's an illness that you were healed from by your immune system and medicine. Maybe it was the recovery after a car wreck. You know that you've experienced so many recoveries. Some people that have, that have stuck it out in a long marriage know that there were seasons of, of months or years that it was horrible, but now it's not because God settled you both and he gave you grace and the word and comfort and wisdom and you grew past it. All of these little times where God lets you suffer and then gives you relief are the reminder that, he, that whatever suffering you're going through in this life is going to end and your life will be just a little while. Look at the life. I mentioned 20 years of Joseph, 15 years for David, 25 years for Abraham. Compared to the thousands of years they've been in heaven, what do you think their life on earth looks like? Just a little while. Jesus has already gone before us. These are the truths of God's word that we cling to even though we're not seeing him. The the first Peter starts with, you don't see him and yet you trust in him and have a faith more pure than gold. This is the promise. He has gone before us. He, He lived his life. He died his death. He rose again and he ascended into heaven to show us what's going to happen to us. We live our life. We die our death. Our soul goes to heaven like the thief on the cross and our body will rise up on the last day like Jesus did on Easter to join our soul and we'll live with him forever. This is just a little while. I find myself longing to look, and I'm looking forward to the days when this COVID-19 will be out of our vocabulary on most days and be a thing of the past. I look forward to when will that be? Well, think of the whole suffering we have in life. And remember, we have a lot to look forward to. When will that be when we get to see him? Could be tomorrow. We don't know. So, Here's your survival guide summarized from 1 Peter chapter 5. Be humble and fight the good fight of faith. That's it. Let humble yourself under God's mighty hand and trust in his promises. 
Give your anxieties about the outcomes to him. Be careful and alert about the bad thoughts the devil brings. And live in hope because you have the promises of a redeemer that made you his child. Be humble and fight the good fight of faith. God bless you as you survive with us. Amen.